Well, I'm out of paper illustrations today, but uh, it's good to be here together. If you have your Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 18. We're going to be in the whole uh, chapter today as we get rolling, looking through the story of Moses. Um, this was meant to be the last of a four-week series on the family, on the life of Lo Moses. Uh, and as I was journaling this week, as I've been working through my notes, uh, the reality is that um, and the Lord just um, opened my heart in a way that was unique. And so instead of this being the last week, we're going to spend the next two weeks uh, in the book of Exodus, chapter 18, closing out our family series. Then we'll get back into Romans. And part of the reason for that is if you know Moses' story or anything about it, um, it's, it's unique. And Romans, or Exodus chapter 18 happens when Moses is 80 years old. And we'll, we'll walk through why that matters and how it's important. But it really is about something that plagues families today. In fact, it's plagued my family. I've seen it in, in our relationships and, and whatnot. And that is, what's it like to be in the family where we have intergeneral, intergenerational relationships going on? What's the right way to do that? What is it like for elder people, right? An elder person is someone that's older than you, amen? Right? So you can turn around. You can be like, you're three days older. You're elder. But you can say, I'm 16. It doesn't matter, right? That an elder is someone older than you and someone younger. And, and this reality is, is that that relationship typically is very tense. It, 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 actually, it actually is kind of a weird role. I remember getting started in, in ministry and asking someone about um, relationships and what I should expect as a pastor. I became a pastor when I was 30 years old when I, I started being a lead pastor. And someone said, I want you to know, here's the reality. You won't have any problem with people in their 20s. And quite honestly, you're going to have anyone have a problem with anyone in their 60s and older. But the people that are about 10 to 15 years within your age group, they're going to they're gonna feel like a big brother to you. And they're going to tell you all the ways you're doing things wrong, right? And I was like, I have a big brother. That's what he does. That can't exist. Y'all, the first eight years of ministry, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm hanging out with the senior adults and the children's ministry the whole time. It was so funny. We don't always know how to make that work. Guess what age group I'm now in, right? At 47. Like I could look down to a 30-year-old pastor and just be like, let me tell you all the things you could do better. You know, just kind of, I'm helping you out, right? I'm a helper in that. And that does not happen much here. Y'all don't leave. If you're in your 50s, please stay. But, but hear this. We don't know how to do it. It's odd. It's weird. It's different. The day than, and that I was raised in as a child is different than what you're raising children in today. Even what, what Ashley had is different, and Connor is different from you who carry a newborn today. What, what we know is there's a lot of differences, and that can make that relationship really kind of sticky, and the enemy gets his, his way into it a lot. As a youth minister, before I became a pastor and realized I didn't know everything, um, I thought, here Christy are, we had no children. And I would talk to these parents and I would say, hey, why are you always running late to church? Well, it's just really hard to get people going in the morning. And I would say, can I help you with that? 
y'all the answer is no right I just I, I knew all the ways I could help you know practically function like getting children out of the house all you do is set the alarm put their clothes out the night before get up a little earlier and let's go and Jesus will rule your life and that's exactly how it never works amen right when we had older children that's like herding cats you can say yeah I put their clothes out but somehow they're on the fan I don't know I don't know but but just kind of always this this thing and I didn't understand it in my early 20s but y'all I, I think I gave advice thinking that I was a good source of knowledge and let me tell you what I have learned as I've gotten older is that most of the lessons I want to teach are the things I've learned not to do amen I mean I want you to hear this. I, as an empty nester, and as Christy and I are watching our kids grow up, there are many things that we are super proud of our family about. There are many traditions and many habits that we do. We invested the word of God intentionally in them. We, 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 I can walk you through a list, but here's what I want you to know, and hear this from your pastor. For every one tip I could give you on how to lead a family to look like Christ, I could give you five things I wish I would have gone, could go back and tell myself to do differently. You follow me? Because what wisdom shows you is that you never had it all at any moment in your life. And the more I walk on that journey, the less I realized I had. You follow me? And y'all, do you know what would happen if 47-year-old David Adams went back and talked to 28-year-old David Adams? David Adams wouldn't listen. Right? He'd be upset at the 47-year-old who had no idea what he was talking about. And, and that would be me. But listen, I'm walking into a new phase that I've never been in before. I've never been on this side before. This story that we're talking about today is about a father-in-law and a son-in-law. Right? That's the best relate. You, you get married for that reason. Amen? Like you're saying, I can't wait to have a father-in-law. Right? So I want you to know, as I've been preparing this week and looking through this, my whole life, I have looked at Exodus chapter 18 through a leadership perspective. How to be a better leader my whole life. Even last year when I was reading this story, I, I, I thought about leading your home and, and those kind of things. And there's some great nuggets. But in the past two weeks, as I've read this story, I have thought of it exclusively for the first time in my life from Jethro's perspective. I've never thought of it from his angle because I've always been in Moses' shoes. A guy with kids in the house, running around, always thinking what leadership techniques, not how to run my house, because listen, what every future son-in-law loves is his future father-in-law telling him the things that he's grown up doing that he should stop doing and do it his way, amen? Nobody likes that. And so when I, when I saw this story and I read it, I thought, what an amazing mo moment for you and I in this day and age. I have not seen in my lifetime such an intentional emphasis on dividing generations in our country as what I see now. From, from 
from Facebook putting you in groups of people who think and look and talk like you to the news channels making us lean into one perspective, how it looks and how, how we go. It's this pocketing of our America. I want you to know it is a tool of the enemy meant to take away from the beauty of what God has designed in family. And here's what I want you to know. We are walking into it with pom-poms. We are walking into the divide with, with all kinds of thoughts and words that degrade and destroy and detach. Because if you're older than me, you have no clue what you're talking about. Today is different than when you were kids. And if you're younger than me, you're just, you're just so silly. You're caught up in yourself and you don't even see it. There's just this crazy, and we're drumming. That's unbiblical but let me tell you the the fruit of this this is why it matters because the church must be different okay the largest study was completed in 2020 on family estrangement in America the largest study ever done and here's what it found is 25 excuse me over a quarter 27 percent and rising are the number of people in America who have cut themselves off from someone in their family. A quarter of our country and rising is cutting off communication, relation with other people. Let me, let me tell you what that number is. 67 million Americans have initiated that divide and let me tell you who it's coming from mostly those 45 and younger and I'm not saying what how when or why but let me tell you what that looks like of that 67 million 24 million of those are between a parent and a child 20 24 million Parents have a child who will not talk to them anymore or children have a parent who will not talk to them anymore. And it's rising. I don't think I've ever thought of a sermon and I've, I've been preaching most of the ones I've heard, right, for the last few years of my life. Thinking God has a bigger design for families than just the four people in my household than just the five of us. I think somewhere along the way, we messed up scripture. We started thinking this idea that leave and cleave means cut out, leave me alone, unless you're a fan of everything that I'm doing. Listen, church, we cannot let our families be destroyed and become individual family units. It has to go beyond that. It has to be different. It has to be special. So my question for us today really came into, what do you think God wants your family to look like intergenerationally? And for those who don't have a family like that, how can you in the family of God be an intergenerational impact on the lives around you for his glory? My mom used to tell me a story and she, I listened to my mom's story. She'll be excited about this. But in, in high school, 
they had to write a paper. If you could try, trade places with anyone in the world, who would you trade places with? And I remember from her perspective, she said, everyone was saying all of these rich people, all of these beautiful people, all these people who live lavish lives. And she got up there and she said, if I could trade places with anyone in the world, I would trade places with my best friend. She said, because I know her family, because I know what she goes home to every night, because I know the world that she lives in. And I remember, whether my mom placed it in my mind or not, thinking, how brilliant. I can't tell you the push, and it's good pushing. Like, there are parenting books galore in this world, and they are, they are quality resources. But substituting a book about raising your family, a book about being a family from a person you don't know, have never walked in their shoes, will never get to know them personally, is like getting your whole education in 2020 when everybody's trying to figure out how to do COVID through online learning. It will bear fruit, but it's gonna be like cherry tomatoes. You follow me? I'm not saying it's worthless, but it's insufficient. And I believe that's why God made the church. So that not those resources aren't good and they're not available, they're fine. But because when the books feed us what to do and we walk with no one, do you know what they unintentionally produce in us? A pride that doesn't quit. A critique of everyone older that we see and know their life from from the Facebook of the 80s and the 70s, a book. Church, we have to be willing to be an intergenerational family in our homes and in our church. And if we will be that, if we will let that define us, I think it's gonna change our families for eternity. I think it's gonna make us stand out and look different. Here's what I want you to know. I've got a little slide on the board on the screen for you guys. Um, I want you to know where Moses is in this journey as we get ready to walk into it because it's potent in this. You put a black screen behind that, and that may make it a little bit easier for me to read so that I'm not um, walking through it. But I'll stand in the right place. So Pharaoh's decree is at the beginning of this, uh, of this slide in Exodus 1. It's that first circle there. We're going to get there. That's okay. All right. So Pharaoh's decree, I'll stand in the right place to let you see the words. Pharaoh's decree is there in Exodus 1. We talked about that a few weeks ago, how in Exodus chapter 1, that was when Pharaoh said, kill all the babies, right? And then in Exodus chapter 2, we find out Moses is born. I want you to know the distance between those two things are very close together, right? We're talking months, not years, between those two things. But then that line between Moses' birth and when Moses kills an Egyptian, which we didn't read about, he turns 40 years of his life happens. And then we got to the, the story of the Mo Moses and the burning bush when God sent Aaron. You remember, we talked about this last week. When God sent Aaron to help Moses to go with him to share the good news, Moses was 80, all right? Now, this is why this matters. The story that we're about to read in Exodus chapter 18 happens within weeks, if not months at the max, of them talking to Pharaoh. 
That means this, the story that we're about to walk through is a man who is 80 years old leading a nation ordained by God with children getting advice from his father-in-law. Now, just some of you are saying, but didn't people live forever? And you can take it off the slide. Thank you so much. You can take it off the slide. Didn't people live forever? Well, Moses lived to 120. That's when he died. So I'll put it in perspective for you today. So security has a calculator, God bless our government, that will tell you how long they think you're gonna live. It's not as depressing as I thought. But, but in that, it, it, it gives us a range that let me do some calculations and I won't tell you all the details of it, but this is what I want you to know. Moses at 80, dying at 120, is like an American between the age of 52 and 57 all right could you imagine and maybe you can that you're in your 40s or 50s and your father-in-law comes over with your children and wants to give you advice all God's people said amen right never but it should be and it could be because it's biblical I wanted you to have perspective because I didn't want you to tune this sermon out as if it only pertains to 20 or 30 year olds starting their families that we need this intergenerational investment the way God designs it and that it's life giving and critical to your family so if a book has been telling you how to parent, I'm not telling you to stop read it, reading it. But if it's taken the place of real people that you know their flaws and their weaknesses and their strengths, I want you to know scripture says you need real God's people in your life. Exodus 18, verse one, and we'll stop there. This is what the Bible says. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people. Now, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now that, I'm gonna stop there because this matters. This is the only place you're gonna hear something that is gonna completely let you see a filter that Moses has on his life and that you and I are tempted to have in our lives. When it says Jethro, the priest of Midian. The rest of the time in this chapter, it reminds us that Jethro is Moses' father-in-law. But to start with, it said, now Jethro, the priest of Midian, heard all that God had done for Moses and Israel and how the Lord brought it out. Here's what you need to know. Moses' dad was not a follower of the one true God. The Midianites took a little bit from all kinds of gods. The God of Abraham, he may have been a part of their, their world or different ones, but the Midianites, they were a nation in general against God's people. So this is the story about a man pursuing God, leading God's people, and God using a father-in-law who did not have a relationship with him to bring glory to his name to Moses' family and his people. It's a little interesting, isn't it? 
I don't want you to raise your hand, but maybe you're in a family now. Well, the reason you don't like spending time is because your heart is one way and theirs isn't. But here's what I want you to know. Even though Jethro was a Midianite and a priest of Midian, let me remind you of what God had him do. One, he provided for Moses when Moses was fleeing Pharaoh and gave him a place to stay and took care of him. He, he was willing to be available when Moses needed him. You see, it would be very easy for Moses to just vilify Jethro. It would be very easy maybe then for Moses to say, well, he's such a good guy. Let me compromise on my belief so that I can embrace him and love him correctly. But, but God had a better plan in that. You see, I think the world, that our culture, wants you to think that if you touch someone, if you put your arms around them, that you become one of them, right? I mean, do you remember growing up like that? Like the people that you run with, people are gonna think that you're like the people that you run with. And not that there's bad thought or that and wisdom, but here is Moses' father-in-law, a person that God put in his world that has been kind to his family. And Moses has the choice. Do I vilify him or do I honor him? Do I compromise God to get along with my father-in-law? What do I do? See, the first lesson I want you to know is this. Moses shows us that God's people, and I'll use the word Christians, that Christians have a responsibility to be an honorable, godly witness to their relatives. I don't think God was like, oh, I didn't really mean to put he's a priest of Midian in this thing. I think it was intentional for us to see that we, that, that, that on our shoulders, church, is the weight a responsibility of saying it is on you as my follower, as my child, to be an honorable and godly witness to your relatives. Why do I think that's true? Listen to 1 Timothy 5, 8. This is what the Bible says. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, not wife, not just your children, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially then for the members of his household, this is hard language, he has denied the faith and he is worse off than an unbeliever. Moses' relative was not a believer. God put it in there. And I want you to know, it is easier when our relatives are believers, when our household is made of believers. I'm telling you, it's better. But how are they gonna get there if you and I don't have a godly, honorable witness before them when we see them and love them? Provide in 1 Timothy means to take thought of. 
So what 1 Timothy says is, but anyone who doesn't take thought about their relatives, how to take care of them, how to show them the love of God, how to honor them, they're denying their faith. They're putting aside what God has given them and they're taking up the sin of their heart and putting it in their ways. Let me tell you, I know this isn't easy, but this is an unbiblical thing. Nowhere in scripture are we called to be jerks for Jesus. Amen? Right? Like nowhere in scripture is Jesus like, oh, that was awesome. You totally got him there. I mean, he's never, ever gonna come ask questions about things again, but you killed it. That's not a thing. Jesus isn't giving you a high five for being a jerk. Because he's called you to be an honorable, godly witness in the relationships in your life. But I want you to know that's not easy and it's hard and that tension is strong because the world is telling you if you're not a jerk for Jesus, then you don't really love him. Whoever's speaking that stuff to you doesn't know my Lord. Just turn them off. Now here's the caveat before I go any further. When we talk about relatives, Moses' relative, his father-in-law was an unbeliever. My guess is that he was a quirky guy. Maybe he talked a lot. Maybe he gave opinions often. I don't know. But he wasn't dangerous. He wasn't trying to harm Moses and his family. His intent wasn't to degrade and destroy and be a threat to them. Now let me tell you, when you have a honorable witness before people and they are a threat to you in your home, Scripture says anyone that doesn't receive that, you can wipe the dust off your feet. You don't put your family and your children in danger. That doesn't honor God. Amen, you follow me? So there is a difference, and that's my caveat for today. I'm not talking about putting your family in danger. I'm talking about how do we honor God in our relatives and our relationships with those around us. See, the joy that we see in Moses' story with Jethro through his life and his leadership is that Moses is excited to share what God is doing in his home with his father-in-law. And we're gonna be seeing next week that Jethro is excited to share with Moses what God is revealing to him. See, our hope should be that God uses us to impact our father-in-law, mother-in-law, sisters, brothers, wife, children, that the world would witness what that type of impact looks like in our life. But it starts with realizing that especially in your relationships, in your relatives, even if they aren't where you are with Christ, that God is worthy of you honoring and being respectful as a witness for his name before them. You with me? And maybe some of you are right now just thinking, I've already dropped the ball on that one. Maybe some of you are thinking, it could be too late. But I want you to see it's not true. That our God is able. Look in your Bible. In verse 2, let's come all the way down to verse 7. The Bible says it this way. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he'd sent her home. 
along to, with two of her sons. The name of one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other is Eliezer. And he said, for my God, my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Right? Verse 5, then Jethro's mother-in-law came with his sons and his wife to Moses to the wilderness where he was encamped on the mountain of God. And when he sent words to Moses, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, I'm coming to you with your wife and your two sons with her. Moses went out to meet her, to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other about their welfare and went into the tent. I love this. It's like father-in-law's picking up the phone. Hey, just want to let you know, your wife and kids have been in my house for a long enough time. We're coming back to your house. Right? That's the modern-day equivalent. Now, in this moment, Moses has the option. He can be offended. What do you mean? You don't want him around any longer? I, I know when I'll be ready for them. What's going on? I mean, not that we would do anything. We would never be critical like that in our spirit of people but he could have he could have said oh joy I think I need to schedule eight meetings so many things he could have done but he didn't and Jethro didn't act like he wasn't going to be wanted see here's the lesson I thought of if you're a Jethro in our room today he was careful to respect God's uniting of his daughter and his son-in-law. I mean, obviously Moses, probably to keep his family safe, had said, hey, why don't y'all go stay with your parents for a while? And Jethro was available to help. He was available to help. Moses' wife and children are with him. He could have said, ha ha, man, when you said I do, have a good day. I've got a cruise scheduled for that week right let me tell you if you're a Jethro mother or father-in-law that's what everyone never wants to hear like yeah I reach out to you and you're not available Jethro was willing to respect and careful to respect Moses is uniting of his daughter of Moses and his daughter and I love that he was available to help he was available to be there now here's what happened. Do you know what the Bible tells us happened? Why Zipporah and her kids were with Moses' father-in-law? Do you know everything it tells us that went on? Nothing. Because even if they ate Cheetos for breakfast, they were loving their children. Amen? Oh, see, I get it, right? You see, I think a lot of times when we want people to help us out, Moses's, what we're really saying is, I don't want you, but I need you. And I need you to prove yourself to me. So if you'll just do exactly what I tell for you, maybe you get a shot and love your grandchildren again. That's why a quarter of Americans are estranged from their parents and their family. Moses wasn't worried about their safety. He didn't try to over, we don't know anything about what he said. All we know is that Jethro respected their union and was available to help. What an awesome witness. The other part I loved about it, in, in verses five through seven, it says that Moses, uh, Jethro, Moses' father, came with his son and daughter. You know what that means? If you're a Jethro, they didn't pretend that all of a sudden the chickens they had to take care of got bigger. 
Jethro didn't mother hen Moses and his wife to death, but they came. You see, in the scripture, there is a story about a father who did that. His name is Laban. And Laban did to Jacob what the world wants done to us. He wants to take advantage of his new union so that he doesn't lose what he's afraid to let go of. If you're a Jethro in the room today, I want you to know you need to be careful to respect God's uniting of your son with their daughter or your daughter with their son. And guess what I will be come June 2nd of next year? A Jethro. I don't want to be cut off. I don't want to be cut out. But what scripture shows us is that Moses welcomed and honored his father-in-law. He didn't give him a rundown. All right, tell me what you ate. Tell me what you drank. Did they get naps four times a day? Did you do all of these things? He didn't do it. He welcomed them. I remember early on, my mom awesomely challenged us. Our kids said, she said, I was in a rush. We just got some cookies for breakfast and we'll get something good at lunch. I remember thinking, you did what? And she said, tell me the difference, nutritional difference between a cookie and a pock tart and we'll have a conversation. I'm like, hey, thanks for taking care of my kids. Have a good day. You see, a lot of times we don't want to be Moses. We want Jethro, we want all of our elders to listen to what Jethro did, but we don't want to listen to what Moses did. Listen to what Moses did in, in God's word, in scripture. Moses went out, verse seven, follow me here. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and they went into the tent. Listen, if you've ever been a grandparent in this room and you've watched your grandchildren, you love them. That doesn't change. But listen, our, your bodies, they're older and they get tired a little quicker. Amen? Right? Have y'all ever seen what happens when people get tired? We get a little grumpy. We need a little help. A little encouragement goes a long way. Amen? Amen. This is what the church should be doing. What Moses does is he doesn't come back and he says, man, they look a little thin or they look a little pudgy. I don't know. Why are they dirty? Have they had a shower in three months? No, he doesn't do any of that. He welcomed and honored his father-in-law. He went out to meet him. He didn't go, hey, glad you're here. Thanks for your help. And then find a chore to do. He bowed down. He didn't say, I need you to take care of my stuff that I need help with. But he honored him. When's the last time you honored your father-in-law for real? When's the last time you honored your mother-in-law for real? your mother, your father, your aunt, your uncle. What would it be like if young believers were so aware of our witness or your witness before relatives that they would see God in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory, in the way you honored them, knowing that they probably didn't do everything right, that they weren't perfect. He spent time with them. 
says they asked him how he was doing and he went into the tent. He demonstrated that I really care about you and I really want community with you. He wasn't saying, I'm, listen, you're stepping on my turf. Thanks for all you've done. The sooner you leave, the better off we get. He kissed him. He showed genuine love for his father-in-law. This is tough. I want you to know you can't do it alone. You must have the living God fueling your tank. But let me tell you, I get to go to some of our senior adult fellowships. And I get to hear the jokes and the stories. And let me tell you, they are so proud of the Moseses in their life. How much more would your testimony be if every time you engaged with an elder, your thought was, I want to carry the burden to show honor and glory of my Lord by respecting them, being grateful for them in my life. Not treating them like they're outdated, underwhelmed, just getting ready to go to heaven for their reward. And what would happen if everyone who has gray hair, I have, I have some right in here, thought, I want to respect God's design for my daughter, my son-in-law, that family unit. I want to be available to love and to help, but I want to show the respect of what God has created. I don't think there would be 24 million people going to sleep tonight without conversations with their parents. As I wrap it up, let me go to eight through 12 because it just gets better, y'all. Verse eight says, then Moses told his father-in-law that the Lord has done, what the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and all the hardship that came upon them and the way that the Lord had delivered them. Just stop for just a second. He could have said, like, not that you've ever done this, but I have, right? My father-in-law, we're gonna go see him tonight. Probably have to confess to him unless he's heard the sermon already. Have you ever been like, hey, David, I heard that this is going on in your life or in the church and your family. And you're just like, yeah, it's really good. Has that ever happened to you? It's like, oh, I, I heard there's a big thing going on at work. Heard that God used you in an awesome conversation. Yeah, it was really neat. Okay, what do y'all want for, for dinner tonight? Right? Have you ever been that? Does that say honor and respect? No. What I love here is that Moses took advantage of every opportunity to glorify God before his family. Every opportunity. As soon as they go into the tent to talk, it says in verse 8, Then Moses told his father all the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that came upon them in their way, and how the Lord had delivered them. Like Moses just kept going and going and going and going. And what the world just says is, is if you don't need them anymore, disengage, distracted, deflect, or disembark. Because the quicker that they get out, the less chance for friction and you sinning against God there is. But church, what the Lord says is take every option. Take every possibility. 
Make the most of every chance. You don't know when the last time you're going to sit next to your Moses or Jethro is. So take every option available to glorify God. Listen to what 1 John chapter 2, 16 says. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. Moses didn't let the pride of life get in him to make his father-in-law small. Church, we cannot do the same with our relatives. We, we cannot sever that. Where are you in your relationship? A lot of times it's insecurity or arrogance that the enemy uses to divide families. Let me tell you, the news channels that we're watching, they are not concerned with how your family, I don't care what they tell you. You don't know them. You don't know what's going on behind the scenes. You don't know what they're doing to their families. But you know who you do know? Look around this room. What would it be like, church, if instead of listening to the noise of the world and bringing it out, I told you so, this is how it is. We said, God, remove the pride of life from me. And just let me be willing to take every chance. This may be the last time I ever get to sit down with this relative, with this person. Don't let me be selfish. Don't let me be afraid. Don't let me be insecure. Let me honor you. You know, I texted Ashley. And I told her, I said, you know, I'm about to be a Jethro. I said, over the past year or so, we got to know Alex. I said, I am so thankful that he's going to be my Moses. I'm believing, church, that he is going to be stronger spiritually at different phases of his life than I was. I believe he's got a hunger and a drive for the Lord that's impressive. But you know what I know? He is not perfect. And he may be getting a Jethro in his life that's not a priest of Midian, but that loves the Lord and wants to get it right and pour into his life. But I'm not going to be perfect. He needs to know that. But my prayer is, is that our love is based not on how good we are or how smart or dumb you are or how wonderful this book is so I don't need you. My prayer is that it's based on honoring God in my heart before my Moses and my Moseses. And my desire is that it will be the same for my Moseses that are and the ones that will come into our home. That it would be to honor the Lord their God in their relationship with me. You were made for that. There's a thousand th studies on how to be a good husband and a good wife. There's a million examples on parenting in this room. 
but how do I love my relatives, my in-laws? How do I love the people that made the person that I love most in this world? You might say, Pastor, you don't know my, my in-laws. That's right. You don't know mine. And it doesn't matter. Because here's the impact. An unbelieving father-in-law goes with his sons in a respectful way, his daughter in a respectful way to visit Moses. And Moses, this, this son-in-law, to glorify God, honors his father-in-law. And he meets him and he greets him and he honors him and he, he cares for him and he kisses him and they go in the tent and he just tells him all that God's doing. And this older man, this priest of a nation that does not follow Moses' as God says this, Verse 9, and Jethro rejoiced for all the good the Lord had done to Israel. And all that he'd done and delivered them out of the hands of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, blessed be the Lord who delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians out of the hand of Pharaoh, delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians. Verse 11, and now I know that the Lord is greater than all. Church, that is what your testimony can be to your family. But not if you are a jerk for Jesus. Not if you just wave and walk away. But when Christ is a witness through you, whether you are Moses witnessing to your Jethro or Jethro witnessing to your Moses, whether you're a mom to her daughter or a daughter to her mother, an aunt to her niece, a nephew to his uncle. God did not design you to know what brokenness is like as a family, as a normal thing. Part of your redemption story is no matter who you are, no matter where I've been, I want to honor the Lord my God in our relationship. Because who knows if he doesn't have the same thing in store for their life as he did for yours. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you. We praise you in this moment, God. We have a world that is trying to separate families and generations, God. We have husbands that are insecure. And so, God, we, we can cut out or belittle or push away the people who used to, used to give life to the person we love the most. And we're not even thinking of the hurt that we cause. Lord, we, we divide the elders of our church. Lord, and the young families of our church. Lord, not, not by a design but by culture. And so eventually our lines stop crossing. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would raise up senior adults in this church to pour into, to be brave enough to pour into the lives 
of our children, our youth, our young families. God, I pray that you would let your spirit rest upon the Moseses, the younger people in our church, God, that they might honor you in a way that shows care and love and respect and honor, God, and desire and need to the others in the room. Lord, let us be different by your design. And if there's a person in this room that does not have a relationship with you, God, I pray that the witness of your word would be true to them today, that they might lift their lips and say that there is no other God like the God of Christianity. There is no other Savior but Jesus. And that their road might start right now. We love you, God.